0: what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. How does God govern? So let's just kind of put this to you so that we're always are trekking the same way. Anytime in my perspective, you hear the word kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But if if the word kingdom is in front of it, I, I try to and hope I've done a good job to get you to think we're now talking about the way God governs. Uh, A king kingdom kingdom has a king it has rules it has way to go here's where we've landed the plane Uh, actually we we brought it and built off of this and we've been flying around it that God's kingdom has always been here Uh, especially next week when we jump in lesson 15 we jump in and begin to look at the church But God's kingdom has always been here. It's been here from the beginning of time. It's nothing new But we've said this this is what we stated that his kingdom is how he governs three realms of his kingdom The angels meaning and by that we mean the spirit realm. We mean those beings that were created So not just angels cherubim seraphim, but the spirit world the gods the spirits of the world the spirits of the universe well, God has to govern that And we've seen that he's the God of most high. He's God over all, but he also created humans to be in his image. And he has in some way, he has to govern humans, but humans uh, have their own nations. We become a people group and God chooses his own people. So when we say kingdom and we talk about kingdom, we're talking about how God governs this whole thing. And he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. He's always moving toward order because out of order, Comes the peace and the rule and the power of his government Now here is where we're at on our chart of study We're talking about all of god's created kingdom has been bound to limits and here we are We're at number 11 on kingdom life tonight. I want to teach you about the kingdom in the old testament that out of this creation of adam and eve and the way god governed out of the choosing of noah And then out of the choosing of Abraham, God establishes a people group. He establishes a group of people and in that group of people, he has ways that they're to live. He has laws that they are to live by. He has expectations upon them. And God begins to establish this thing that we we know to be his kingdom. But now we move into something very unique because the kingdom of God's rule and reign is now gonna be governed through their own kings and we're going to talk about how does God work with humans to pull this off. It's going to be interesting, it'll be challenging for sure because we're going to talk about how does God work to move his kingdom forward and what is he going for. Let's jump right into it Judges chapter 2. If you've never read the book of Judges, it is a fascinating read because it is chock-filled with stories of people that can't make their mind up. One minute they'll love God and serve God and the next minute they won't but, but out of the book of Judges God is going to show us something very unique and God is going to show us how he has ordained his kingdom government to manifest and the way his kingdom government manifests is that God is going to establish an idea in the book of Judges. Let's jump in Judges chapter 2. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. Verse seven of Judges two. And the Israelites served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua. And then in blue, I've highlighted it for you. And the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord has done. Here's the thought for our lesson tonight. And we're gonna dig this out fairly deep. God's kingdom government has always been to ordain leaders who will aid in the governing of his people. And that's what I meant by when I said it's gonna sting a bit, because anytime you talk about God's kingdom rule and reign, you've got to include people. I would would love it if we could just say, hey, I just wanna serve God and forget people. You cannot forget people when you're talking about God's kingdom rule, because God is going to ordain human beings To lead alongside him. God is going to ordain, I'll say it again, human beings to lead within his governing system. And I know for us that may be a little shocking because humans are broken, flawed, greedy people, but it does not stop the thought and the thinking behind God's intent is that God has always chosen humans. Why? It's it's interesting. I mean, I'm not gonna deep dive that. Why? But on, on the superficial level, why? Because he's moving toward the church and God needs humans because humans are gonna make up the church. Flawed, broken people that become redeemed by the work of Christ will ultimately, which is where we'll go in the weeks and months ahead, will ultimately become how God rules and reigns. But here, what we're finding out is God doesn't just pick Noah to do his work and doesn't just pick Moses and doesn't just pick Joshua. What God is going to teach us, especially through reading the book of Judges, is that God always chooses leaders to help organize the chaos that is in human beings that are fallen to help accomplish the kingdom of God. And here's what I mean by it's interesting to read Judges. It, it is a roller coaster ride of repentant, rebellious people. But every time they're repentant, God will raise up a leader that will cause them to succeed, cause them to prosper and be blessed. And every time they rebel, it's because they're without a leader. So mark this down in your thinking for sure, is that God has established your life that if you don't want to be in chaos and disorder, he's established it where every one of us in the room need to be being led. In other words, we never reach the top of the rung to where we say, I don't need anything, I just want to sit in my prayer closet and answer to nobody because I don't trust people, I don't trust pastors, I don't trust elders, I don't even trust Christians. Well, that thinking is evil, it's demonic at its core because God has always chosen flawed humans To lead along beside him. Look at Judges chapter 2. It continues to say this in verse 10. After that generation died. all right, that's where it gets interesting. After that generation died. Another generation grew up. Who did not acknowledge the Lord. So what we begin to find out. Is that as time goes on. uh, You know, you would think that every generation. Would be passing along the things of God. But one of the, you know biggest culprits of losing a passion for who God is, is time. We become so familiar with him and so familiar with his expectations that we just lose sight of what it's all about. But it says that an entire generation came who didn't even acknowledge the Lord. They didn't remember his mighty things. And the Israelites, here's where it gets interesting, verse 11, they did evil in the Lord's sight and they served the images of Baal. goes on, verse 14. Judges chapter 2. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So that's kind of where we go that God has expectations on us. He's not just down there, hey, fellas, ladies, why don't you just run your life? Do whatever you want because I love you and you can't ever do anything about my love. Yes, God loves us, but he had expectations on his people. His people were to be doing his righteous requirements. But they had turned their back on him, snubbed their nose at him, and God becomes angry in Judges 2.14. And then this is an interesting thought of what happens. They begin to reap the consequence of that. So he handed them over, verse 14, to raiders who stole their possession. And he turned them over to their enemies all around. And they were no longer, and then this phrase, they were no longer able to resist their enemies. So here's the conjecture we can get for that. As long as they were repentant and following a leader, and and we'll see what that means in a minute, a leader that would be chosen to lead them into God, to keep them from becoming chaotic and rebellious, they succeeded. But anytime they snubbed their nose and they decided we don't have a leader, we're gonna do our own thing, it says that God would be so angry that he would just turn them over come on, that's not a good place to be. Even though God is powerful, even though God potentially we could say he's God, he can do what he wants to do. Well, there's nothing worse than the God who can do anything within the scope of his word uh, just decides, well, I think what I'll do is turn you over to you. Come on, you don't want to be turned over to you, but God did it to them. He said, I'm going to turn you over to yourself. Look at this verse. It's interesting. Verse 15, Judges 2. Every time Israel went out to battle, oh wow, I highlighted it in green for you. And this is what it says. The Lord fought against them. And I think a lot of times people assume that anytime something bad is going on in my life, it must be the devil. The the devil's coming hard against me. But what this intimates for us is that God says when my people are not living my expectations and are not doing what I've called them to do and are rebelling against the wisdom within which I gave them, it almost appears that God said, when the battle comes, I'm going to fight against you. Uh, now, I don't know what, I mean, I guess we could do a whole series on what does it mean if God fights against us? Because the New Testament says this, if God be for me, who can be against me? And then the way we teach that is, well, he's never against us. He's always for us. But this is a, this is a real uh, bitter concept to think that uh, God has such high expectations for his people. That he says this, he says, I'll fight against you. And then it goes on to say, and he caused them to be defeated just as he had warned them. So it wasn't like God was doing it to, to, you know, in spite of, he had already warned them about it. And the people, and in this phrase, they were in great distress. But watch what happens in verse 16. God doesn't just toss us under the Uh, the bus. And God doesn't just say, you sorry, no good people. You, You rebel against me. Good luck. I'm out of here. He had committed himself to his people. God had committed himself in his faithfulness through a covenant with Abraham that he would be in covenant with his people. So when they rebel and they're getting beaten by their enemies and things aren't going good, watch what God does. God's always working a remedy here And for what? To move his kingdom government forward. Because chaos, losing the battles, losing to your enemy is not moving his kingdom forward. So here's what he does in verse 16 of Judges 2. The Lord raised up judges, and then this word in the green is highlighted, rescue. He raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet, it's interesting, they wouldn't listen. They didn't listen to the judges, but they kept prostituting themselves. They kept worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away. And then I I put this in pink because I want it to stand out to you. It says, and they quickly turned away from the path. The path. In other words, God gives us leaders that he raises up to help keep us on the path. And it's so easy to say, well, you know what? I just want to be in my prayer closet, just me and God, me and the Holy Ghost. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're going to benefit from spending any time you want to spend with God. But it's a very dangerous place to be to have no one in your life that can speak to you in such a way to make sure that you're staying on the right path. And you're not just out there doing you for the sake of you. So it says that he, they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had always walked in obedience. Verse 18, whenever the Lord, and here it is again, raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their rest throughout, and this highlighted in red, this needs to jump out at you. This rescue, this raised up, this God intervening, and here it is, was throughout the judge's lifetime. So, as long as there was a judge uh, moving God's people forward, a judge, now, if we said the word judge, we kind of, you know, we think somebody in a court of law, but they were literally the heroes. They were the men that went out in front and said, No, we're going to fight this thing. We're we're not going to lay down. Come on, you know, we need that today now. We need people that said, No, I'm not laying down on my job. I'm not going to become some weak, anemic Christian. I'm going to fight for the kingdom of God. Well, that's what the judges were. So don't really think uh, judge like wearing a robe and a tassel inside a court of law. They were judges in the sense that they were heroes. God would raise them up to go to battle to say, hey, we're not supposed to be living this way. We're not supposed to be losing. We're not supposed to be getting defeated. We're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be making other nations jealous of the God we had. And so he raised up these judges in in such a way to move the kingdom to make other nations jealous. Man, you don't think we need that today. We need people that'll stand up. I've used this phrase since last year that will stand up and say, God, if you can use anything, use me. I want to swing for the fences. I do not want to just live my life casual and passive, but I want to swing for the fence. Well, this is what God is doing for them. Verse 19. But when the judge died, now that's going to be, if you read the stories, it's going to be a different length of time for each judge. They ruled. But as long as they were ruling, as long as these heroes were taking the battlefield, uh, they prospered. This is what it said. The people, once they died, the people returned to their corrupt ways. Oh, come on. This is in the green highlighted. Behaving worse than those who had lived before them. So here's what we can intimate out of that. If if you don't have someone in your life leading you, that, that that is helping you stay on path, that is helping you stay true to God's kingdom principles, if not careful, though thinking you were better off, over time you will become worse. It's just not a good thing, and it, it's all through Scripture. It's not the teaching of tonight's lesson, but it is a thought that anytime there was a judge, they succeeded, they prospered, and they went to war, and anytime time the judge died, they snubbed their nose at God, and they did worse, and they lost battles, and they paid a high price because of it. Here's the thought behind those verses I just read in Judges 2. Here's the thought. God's kingdom government raises up and this is stings a mic human authority To represent heavenly authority to make sure the right path is maintained read it one more time God's kingdom government raises up human authority and that human authority is to represent heavenly authority To make sure that God's people stay on the right path That that right path is maintained now that is the purpose of leaders. If this be true, what would our enemy? We'll bring Lucifer into it. What would our enemy, the devil, the uh, what the the Book of Revelation calls him, the the dragon, that old serpent of old? Well, what would he do? Well, he wants you to distrust leaders. He wants to get the leaders flawed and living in sin themselves. He wants no leader to rise up that'll live the principles of the kingdom of God. Why? Because any time. A human leader steps up and comes under God's authority and that human leader that has authority comes under heavenly authority of God's kingdom principles, you can guarantee you will find a successful group of people or even a successful family you have a father who submits to the kingdom of kingdom authority under heavenly authority you will see a family that will make great headway i'm not saying that their kids don't ever have a problem but the chaos that tries to ensue there's something about human authority that will cause peace and chaos to cease and peace to come now let's take the book of judges because what god is doing is he's going to teach us something in the book of Judges. And I hope it inspires you tonight. I'm putting up a, uh, on the TV a, a, an arrow that is in a circle. So it's going from like 1 o'clock all the way back around to 12 o'clock. And in the middle of the clock, in the middle of the circle arrow, it says the cycle of sin and Judges. The cycle of sin and judges. So in your mind, if you're listening, uh, maybe just picture an arrow, circular arrow going around clockwise. And then right in the middle, it says the cycle of sin and judges. Now, here is the cycle. If you want to know how tricky and risky it is, is that God chooses to work with humans. God chooses to work with humans. And in choosing to work with humans, <coughs> excuse me, in choosing to work with humans, it is going to be a risk. In choosing to work with humans, it's going to be a risk. But he does it anyway. You would think God would just be like, I don't trust you humans, you're, you're, you're such reprobates. No, all through the Bible is as is, is flawed as we can be. He always raises up humans to share his authority with. Let's look at the cycle. So, start at one o'clock. Look at what happens. Israel serves God. And when they serve God, they come in on the right side of the arrow and they start coming around clockwise. Things are good. We're serving God. Things are going well. And then, all of a sudden, at about three o'clock, another pops up. Well, they begin to rebel. They lose their leader, their leader dies, and as soon as their leader dies, their judge dies, their hero dies, they just begin to live any way they want, and so they rebel. And then after they rebel, what happens? Well, we read it, they become attacked by their enemies. Their enemies begin to hit them on every side, they begin to lose, they begin to be defeated, And in that defeat, they become very discouraged and they get discouraged about life and we're losing and nothing's going well. Well, what do we all know about that when things aren't going well? Well, it does one or two things. It pushes you further away from God or if you know God, it pushes you to God. Anybody remember 9-11 when the World Trade Centers were hit and attacked? Well, what did it do the next month or so? Churches flooded with people because there was something about tragedy and pain and suffering that causes people to run maybe the right direction. And so they would become attacked by their enemies and what would that do? That would bring them here and they would go through a cycle of repenting, we're sorry, and they would call out to God, forgive us. And as soon as they called out, what would God do? He would rescue them. And in that rescue, he would raise up a hero. He would raise up a judge and then that judge would rule and Israel would live a life of peace for a while. Now that is the cycle. The cycle repeats itself through the book of Judges over and over. We serve God. The judge dies, we rebel, we go through tragedy and chaos, we repent, we get another judge and a hero, we win a lot of battles, life gets prosperous. I think maybe you've seen the meme that's out there that floats around, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. That cycle, well, this is the book of Judges. But what I want you to understand in this cycle of rebellion, righteousness, repentance, and blessing is that God never removes his kingdom principle of using human leaders. He didn't send them angels. He sent them humans. I'm not saying angels wouldn't fight with them, but God's intent from Adam and Eve is despite how flawed we are, he always, always chooses humans. Uh, through the COVID year and a half that churches were shut down and things were you know, kind of crazy. Before that, we had gone into a building program and we shut down this building and we were meeting on a Saturday night. Come on, you remember that? We took another church building and we were meeting on Saturday night. Well, that afforded me on Sunday morning because I love God's kingdom. I, I traveled all around and went to other churches and just visited i didn't have to teach preach anything i could just visit and be part of it and what i found out with every church good preaching bad preaching great music not so great music happy people sad people there were there were just people everywhere of all kinds and i came home and told robin i said it is so interesting like one church has great preaching, terrible music. One church has terrible music, great preaching. Uh, you know, one church has such wonderful people, but the pastor was boring. One person, just the pastor was incredible, but the people kind of looked at you like, "What are you doing here?" Uh, really weird. Like just going around, just being part of God's body. But here's what I came away with: not a negative about that. There was nothing negative I took away. I took away a great positive. And this is what I told Robin. I said, you know what I've learned through this this year that I've been going to other churches every Sunday and seeing how people worship is that God uses humans. He uses our weaknesses and our strengths. And he uses, we may be good at singing or good at this, but God chooses humans. And you can either get upset at that and go, you know what, and be nitpicky and critical. But if you're a nitpicky, critical person following a leader, you'll never be happy. There's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect group of people. There's not a perfect leader. But that doesn't mean God did not choose them. And that's what the book of Judges is going to teach us. Let's look at them. Here they are. I'm going to give them to you. There's 12 of them, and I'm going to give them all to you uh, just in order of their lives. And I, I threw them all up at the same time because there's no way I could tell you all the stories of everyone that are up there. There's some very familiar ones. Uh, Gideon, I know you've heard of. Deborah, she's preached on a lot. There's some you may have never heard of. There's number 10, Elon uh maybe musk we don't know he could he could be coming back and then a uh, number 12 samson so there's some familiar ones and not let's just run through them here they are first othaniel number two ehud number three shamgar i think he gets like one sentence in the bible you never hear about him again but a powerful man, meaning this, uh, you, don't, you don't have to have a lot of accolades and, and write a lot of books, you just need to make sure you do what God's called you to do. Number four is Deborah. Number five, very popular among Christians is Gideon. Number six is Tola. Number seven is Yair. Number eight, Jephthah. Number nine, Ibzan. Number 10, Elon, Number 11, Abdon. And number 12, probably the most famous, Samson. Now if you read the stories of all these 12 people, they're introduced on the hills of chaos and God uses them to bring peace. So what we can assume if we read the story of these 12 heroes, the story of these 12 judges, we will come out with the same premise. God raised all of them up in the middle of chaos to bring peace. So here's how you know if you're jaded or not. You'll know if you're jaded by, when you think church or church leaders or preachers, elders, whatever the title would be, you know you're jaded if you immediately go to these people create chaos. These people cause the chaos to be worse. They're greedy. They're this, they're that, whatever we would say, right? Whatever it would be. But what God teaches us in the judges and what the judges are doing is that, no, every time God raised up a leader, it was that God would make sure that he was leading his people toward peace. Here's the thought behind that. Let's look at it. God uses humans to accomplish and carry out his kingdom government by appointing them to operate in different leadership roles. I'll read it one more time. God uses humans, so let's settle that. He does, he uses, uh, I always joke at myself, I try to be as transparent as I can here, uh, on Sunday especially, is that I'm just a human guy. I've got my good and my bad. I've got my strengths and my weaknesses. And for some strange reason, God is good with me leading as long as I'll stay tuned in to Him, as long as I'll let His wisdom trump my wisdom, and as long as I'll let His nature trump uh, my own nature, then, then God's okay to use me. Now let's read it again. God uses humans to accomplish and carry out His kingdom government. It's part of it. By appointing them to operate in different leadership roles. Now this phrase right here, to operate in different leadership roles, will formulate the rest of the Old Testament. We have come primarily up until this point That God has always chosen one person, maybe two, to do his work. He chose Adam and Eve, and then he chose Noah, and then he chose Abraham, and then he chose Moses, and then he chose Joshua, and then he chose Caleb. But out of Joshua and Caleb, he begins to uh, choose these individual people to do what he has called his kingdom to do. And it seems like a great system that God has established a kingdom system where I will choose a leader. Now this is where it gets interesting. I will choose a leader, if you go back and read Judges, what we read in chapter two specifically, is that God would be the one who would choose the leader to lead his people. Something shifts though in God's people because the period of Judges, rules and reigns, that's the way God established it. But in the book of Samuel, so now we leave Judges and we come into the book of 1 Samuel. And in the book of 1 Samuel, still God's kingdom, still his people, still his rule, a great shift happens. Uh, I would say intentionally and at the same time tragically, that will formulate the rest of the Old Testament. It will formulate things you hear like Israel Judah, Jerusalem, Samaria. It will will begin to formulate the rest of the Old Testament. And as you read these uh, prophets that will come later, typically after the book of Psalms and Proverbs, come all the prophets. As those prophets come, they are speaking back into this new thing that happened. And let's see what that is. It's going to be interesting tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We come into 1 Samuel 8 and this is what it states, verse one, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. So we see that even by the time we get to Samson, I mean Samuel, that the system of the way God does it is still the same. You get a judge and if you listen to the judge and the judge is good, things go well and you win. However, something kind of begins to creep in that I think is natural with humans. It's a human problem. It says in verse 2 that Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Bathsheba. And then this phrase, but they were not like their father, for they were, here it is, highlighted in blue, greedy for money. So now we begin to see that even though God can raise up a judge and that judge and or hero should cause God's people to prosper, what we find out now is not only can the people rebel, but so can the leader. And again, it's what I said a moment ago, it becomes very risky. It becomes risky to God because you would think God would just say, you know what? I'm not using you people anymore. So what we find out now by Samuel is that not every judge that came on the scene was necessarily uh, great. Now, I don't know. I guess I could theologically debate it because it says here that Samuel appointed his sons. So we could assume that God didn't appoint them. Samuel did. But nevertheless, what we know is that humans who lead in God's kingdom can be flawed and corrupt. But corrupted, flawed leaders, here's what's interesting, still does not change God's system. Verse 4, 1 Samuel 8, finally all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Verse 5. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons aren't like you. And then I've highlighted in yellow because this is the shift. This is the shift that happens in the Bible that is strategic as well as tragic. I'll use both of those words. I don't use them lightly, but intentionally. Here's what it says. Give us a king. So, so they're not wanting a judge now. They're they're asking for something distinctly different. In the yellow again, give us a king. Here's why. We want that king to judge us like all of the other nations. And Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord to ask for guidance. In other words, uh, Samuel's taken back by this. The people are not rebelling the people are asking for a king to judge them. And the reason they want a king and not a judge is they want to be like every other nation. So let's go back to Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? God wanted to distinctly pull him out to be different. That's why we went through the book of Leviticus, the way they would worship, the way they would camp, the way they would bring sacrifices, the way they would look, the way they would speak, was to set them different from every nation. God's people was to be distinctly different from any other nation and any other God. But now we find his people saying, we're tired of judges. This is my take on it. We're tired of being different. We're tired of having... Having uh, God rule over us, and I'll read it again to you. First uh, uh, Samuel 8:5, give us a king to judge us like all other nations. So, what they're wanting to do now is we're tired of looking different. We want to just be normal. I think that's a challenge for all of us because there is something Jesus will say it in the New Testament. It is a narrow way. Jesus will say, you'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. We hate that. We want to fit in. We want to be like everybody. It is a normal thing. It's nothing new. Nothing in 2023 with our culture is any different than this. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be different. We want to have the same wisdom and logic. So Samuel goes to God, verse 7 of 1 Samuel 8. Here's what God tells him. It's interesting, funny too. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me. Now, that is an intense accusation because what did they say prior verse? We don't want a judge. We want a king to judge. And God took that personally, you're rejecting me. So what we find out is that the judge and God were so uh, intertwined with his kingdom principles and his kingdom government that to reject a judge was rejecting God himself. Uh, This carries out even in the New Testament. If you remember this story, it's very familiar. Saul on the road to Damascus, when Jesus appears to him, he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus physically. He was persecuting humans that were followers of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus was considered to be as if Jesus himself. And so the same principles, even in the New Testament, thousands of years later, that God and His people or His leaders—you persecute one, it's as if you're persecuting Him. So God says, uh, again in verse seven of First Samuel, they're rejecting me. They watch. This is really powerful. They don't want me to be their king any longer. So this one phrase tells me how God has been thinking since Adam. From the time Adam came and God said to Adam and Eve, rule and reign, take charge, whatever you do, be in charge. Take dominion. What we know now is that God was king over his kingdom. We would call him creator and we say it today. Jesus is king of kings, but we really don't, you know, stop to think, what are we saying? King of kings is he's king over his own kingdom, but he's king of every other kingdom. And God says of himself, uh, they just don't want a a king. They, They want to reject me. And so what God tells us is that he was their king. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since, verse 8, I brought them up from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed their gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way that a king will reign over them. So God is not very happy here. God says, I've given you judges, I've rescued you, I've provided for you, I've kept you. And now you want to be just like everybody else, okay? If that's what you want, you're rejecting me. You're rejecting me. And we could easily say, God, we're not rejecting you. We're rejecting Samuel's kids. We're rejecting his kids. We're not rejecting God. But just know that when, that when God ordains and establishes authority, uh, it, it is an interesting thing because, yes, those humans are flawed. Yes, they can be greedy. Yes, they can do things that are wrong. But God still chooses to share uh, his kingdom rule with flawed humans. Let's jump into a scripture reading, 1 Samuel chapter 8. I just want to read it to you. First Samuel, we're going to read about 12 verses. So if you want to open your Bible, I want to read 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 22. Now, what we're going to read is this whole transaction between God's people that should be different, that rebel consistently, so he gives them a leader called a judge, but we're sick of the judge. We want our own king to be like everybody else. And now we pick up the story. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel 8. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army, and some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officials and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes you will beg for relief from this king you're demanding but then the lord will not help you but the people refused to listen to samuel's warning even so we still want a king they said we want to be like the nations around us our king will judge us and lead us into battle so samuel repeated to the lord uh, repeated to the lord what the people had said and the lord replied do as they say and give them a king and samuel agreed and sent the people home listen to this, it it just makes your head hurt. It makes you go, why would God want to choose to work with us? God gives a litany of warnings of what will happen when you get a king. They're going to take your daughters, take your house, take your donkeys, take your chariots. They're going to work you night and day. They're going to take your money and spend it on themselves. Oh, we don't care. Look at what they said. But the people refuse to listen to the warning. There's something about humans that we just don't like the wisdom of God. We don't mind to judge, but that's his wisdom. We want our own wisdom. We want to rule ourselves. And it says this, even so, even though all these bad things will happen, it's almost like a spoiled, rotten baby. (laughs) Even so, we still want a king, right? I mean, we still want a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. And then this phrase highlighted in blue for you, our king will judge us our king will judge us powerful, powerful thought this to me is the shift of everything that will begin to happen to the nation that we will know as Israel to the divided kingdom, to the wars to the kings that will abuse God's people to the kings that will be good kings and bad kings and we step into the rest of the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 21. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people said. And the Lord replied, Do as they say and give them a king. And what we find out right here is that God begins to set up a new system of how his people will be ruled by a king. A king that can abuse them and do them wrong and he even tells them so I wrote this down, here's the different governing rules of how God is going to judge his people in the Old Testament. Again, my thinking for tonight's lesson is, he always chooses humans. So in the Old Testament, here's what he chooses. He chooses judges, prophets, priests, and kings. And this uh, slate of how God is going to lead his people, you'll find all through the Bible. He uses judges, and then along come the prophets and priests, and then finally the kings, prophets, and priests rule his people. And so what that's going to do is as long as they will stay submitted to God's word, which we know to be the law, which we would call the Ten Commandments, as long as the judges, prophets, priests, and kings are submitted to the way that God told them to do it, things will go well. If the king will just listen to what God established in the law, it will go well for that king. But if that king turns his back, it doesn't go well. Well, you would think that that would just be such a wonderful system. Why? Because God's wanting to rescue them and bless them, and He's wanting them to be different, and He's wanting, wanting them to carry forth His name. But nope, not them. We don't want that. We want our own judge. Now, that's what they say. Look, I don't. I don't care about what God wants. Uh, we want our own judge here. We want to call our own shots. And so by doing that, they systematically say, whether they really said it or not, but it intimated what they meant. We don't care about God being our judge anymore. And we don't care about what his law says or what his will is. We want our own thing, our own way. We'll, we'll get our own king. And so God obliges Here's what I take away from that. Be careful what you whine about and ask God for because there's nothing worse than for God obliging your prayer when it's not even what he wanted you to have anyway. Come on, obliging your prayer. And so I think there's a lot that we, when we pray, we should say, God, yeah, this may be what I want, but I want to submit to your wisdom. And they did not want that. What did God say? God said, fine, I am going to establish the kings for you to rule and reign over you. So I'm going to give you a list of them. It would take months to teach all the stories of the kings. We may do it in a Believers You class in the future. But as soon as they say, give us a king, what we come up with, if we go through the list of kings in the Old Testament, we find that there's 31 of them that are evil. So just know this, that anytime you're talking humans, the likelihood that you will have more bad ones than good ones is high. So if you wanna judge preachers, we could say this, the likelihood that if we look at the local church and we look at pastors, the likelihood that you will have pastors who are corrupt, bad, greedy, selfish is statistically high because we're humans, because we have flesh. Now, I couldn't list all of them, but I've listed three three of the ones that were considered evil, Saul, which is the very first one they select, His son Rehoboam and then everybody knows this one Ahab if you just want to know how bad Rehoboam was It's it hurts your head to read about him. He really is just like, you know what you thought my dad was bad I'm about to make it so pitiful for you and man you are talking about fulfilling the prophecies of God Rehoboam did it he doubled up on taxes and made everything worse and went against all of his advice of his old people took the advice of the young people tragedy well Because God uses people there were seven good kings that would be labeled good they did what God wanted them to they followed the laws of God they were generally good and I've lifted three of those David even though David man has some tragedy in his life he's still listed under the labels of good kings. Because at the end of the day, even though he was a flawed human, he would repent. And there's something profound about repentance. Repentance will move you from an evil king to a good king pretty quickly. It'll move you from a good husband, a bad husband, to a good husband. A bad marriage to a good marriage, just off repenting. What does that mean? Coming to God. I want to do your wisdom versus my own. I've given you three of them, David, Josiah, and Uzziah. I've highlighted Josiah like Rehoboam. Josiah was eight years old when he began to rule. And man, he established a a hunger for the law and established some great things for the kingdom. And here's the interesting thing. He was eight years old when he started to reign. I don't know how an eight-year-old could rule a kingdom. I'm sure they had ways to do it, but it tells me this. It tells me that no matter what age we are, if we do the wisdom of God, we can be part of ruling in his kingdom. And five mixed kings. By mixed, they started out good. They got tripped up along the way. The three I've listed are Joe Ash and the one we most know is Solomon. Started out really well, wrote a lot of great things. We talk about him. Man, a proverb a day, he'll keep the devil away. But by the end of his life, Solomon had turned his heart because of all the women that he had. And uh, Solomon's listed as starting good and not ending quite so good. Well, if you look up at the graphic I've put, Uh, one, One thing we can say about it is this. There's 31 evil kings, seven good ones, and five mixed ones. But the moral is that God runs a great risk to allow humans to participate in his government. God runs a great risk for humans participating in his government. And the strange thing, he still chooses to use us. Look at the odds. 31 bad ones. And if you add them all, if you add them all up, you're you're at what 40, 43, 43 kings total. 31 of them are considered evil. Five of them mixed. You only get seven. Seven of them. What that's gonna be about twenty percent. Less than twenty percent. I mean, that's not very good. God's not doing very good. A 20% success rate here. But it doesn't change what God wants. God still wants to use humans to share the rule in his kingdom with him. But he does pose a great risk. Here's the great risk. We we want our own judge. And God says, okay, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king. I am the king. And that's what God is trying to establish. I'm king here. So here's the thought. Though humans are a certain risk for evil. Come on. I mean, you just go back and look at any history of God's people and God's leaders, even recent history, pastors and leaders, you can find a litany of bad ones. Uh, Pastors that have run off with the money and run off with a woman and uh, I have friends that their pastor became gay, just decided I don't want to be married. And they shut down their church. I've seen pastors run off with the money. I mean, a litany of stories of us humans that can blow it. But even though there's are at a certain risk of evil in God's kingdom government, here it is. He still chooses to ordain humans to have authority to rule with him. Who would do that? Who would have the authority to rule with them? Let's look at it. Look at Ephesians. Just in case you thought God could change his mind over time, right? It would get so bad and so evil, God would have to change his mind. No. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So even in the New Testament, thousands of years later, 31 terrible kings, good prophets, bad prophets, good kings, bad kings, mixed kings. We get to the life of the New Testament. Jesus resurrected. Jesus still chooses humans to lead. Jesus still picks humans to to share His power with to equip His body. Here are the governing roles in the Old Testament judges, prophets, priests, and kings. But here's the New Testament. It doesn't change. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. God raises them up. And what he's saying is, hey, in the old testament you submitted to my word in stone but in the new testament you're going to submit to my word in the flesh jesus himself will be the head of it all he'll be the head of the church and as god was saying to his people in the old testament i desire to be your king i'm going to govern you and rule you i'm going to be the head over my nation By the time we come to the New Testament, it never changed. Now we have God saying, I'm going to be king. His name is Jesus. I'm going to be the head over my church. I'm going to rule and reign, but I call myself the head of the body because you are going to participate in my governing rule. Here's the thought. I've said it multiple times, but I want to say it again and again and again, and I hope it challenges you. Here it is. Flawed humans... Who lead in God's government are not going away. I'll read it again. (laughs) Flawed humans who lead in God's government are not going away. So as bad as it gets, as bad as we think it is, we see another article in newspaper, another Christian website post a failure of a leader. But no matter how many times we post a leader failed, it does not change. God's intent Is that He's going to use those humans to share his authority with listen to Ephesians We keep reading Ephesians 4 13 and this what apostle prophet evangelist pastor teacher equipping the church this will Continue until we all come into such unity of the faith and knowledge of God's son That we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It's going to continue It's never going to stop Uh, I would love to say even in the millennial kingdom, which we'll get to in this teaching way away, a couple of months later, when we talk about the millennial kingdom, even there, Jesus says, you humans that believe in me will rule and reign with me. He still shares his authority with us humans. Here's the thought, though. What are these flawed humans here to do? They're here to keep us on track. I know that doesn't even sound romantic, but God gives leaders to us to keep us on track. And you say, but yeah, some leaders deceive us and some leaders lead us astray and some leaders lie to us. And the answer is yes, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. But it still doesn't stop that God's plan is that leaders are given to us to keep us on track. So what would that mean to us? What would that mean is that it becomes a challenge Of do we trust God's governing system over our life? Because here's what we would say. If God continues, which it says He will, continues to use flawed humans, won't it just be continued evil and failure? If God continues to use flawed humans, and according to what we read, He will... Won't it be continued evil and failure? Like every generation, there's going to be preachers that are greedy and do wrong and fail and fall and hurt people. Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. It's true. Now, because of that, we have two options. We can either be like the group under Samuel and go, you know what? I don't care. I, I want to govern my own self Or will I continue to submit to the way God wants to do it? So here's what it does. When you find out that God uses flawed leaders, it seems better just to trust judging myself. I don't need you to tell me what to do. You're just as broken, you're just as failed as me. And that's how I stand in this pulpit every week. I try to stand here very transparent, telling you my my good, bad, and ugly. But at the end of the day, I know that I myself do my best, even in the things I teach, is that I try to say, God, I can't do this by myself. I don't want to judge myself. I want to be under your wisdom. And I want to make sure that I'm running the right way. I want to make sure that, that God, you're uh, over my life, doing the things that I need to do, doing what you've called me to do. And so what God is attempting to do is let us know that he wants to continue using me. Well, why? How could he say that? I'll tell you why. Look at the book of Revelation. Then I saw heaven open. This is Revelation chapter 19. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. And and then this phrase, he judges fairly. And wages a righteous war his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns and a name was written on him that no one understood but he himself and he wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God and the armies of heaven there's that governing system the word the armies of heaven in its finest pure white linen followed him on white horses oh this is where it gets good verse 15 of Revelation 19 From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Oh, buckle up. Get ready. This is good. Nothing about God's government has changed. Verse 16, and on his robe, come on, and on his thigh was written this title. Here's the title, King of of all kings and Lord of all lords. Why would God choose flawed humans in the Old Testament? Because God is the king. He's not worried about you being king. He's the king. He just needs you to listen. It was only when we said, well, bump that. I'm going to be king and have a king judge us. Not him as king us as king that things started going in the New Testament nothing changed flawed humans are picked by God you would say why would God pick flawed humans to lead us because we flawed humans will never be kings we have a king over all kings there's somebody else in charge here it is again here's the whole governing role the judges prophets priests and kings apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers And the whole point is that God is teaching us Jesus is king. Jesus rules. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one that is over everything. So let's wrap it up. If he's king, desires to be king, wants to be king over his kingdom, but chooses flawed people, is there any hope? I mean, on the surface, we would say, no, there's not much hope. But here's the thought. The risk and by risk, I mean the king choosing to share his authority with flawed people The risk is not in the perfection of humans The risk is in whether or not a human will listen and obey I'll say that again. The risk is not in the perfection of the human The risk is whether that human who's leading will listen and obey and if you want to know what the true challenge is as a leader it's not to live perfected lives. We can discipline ourselves for that. It's can we listen when our emotions are saying no? And can we obey when the voices are saying that's crazy? To listen and obey. So when we say that God works with flawed humans, we're not saying that God necessarily is looking for the perfected man or woman, but that he's looking for somebody that will listen. He's looking for somebody that will listen and someone who will obey. And if we go back through the Old Testament, we find out that every time they listened and obeyed, life went well, and every time they didn't, life went bad. So what we could intimate is that God raises leaders to help us listen and obey. Now, what is the answer to being successful as a leader in God's kingdom let's go to Jesus book of Revelation if you know the story of Revelation in the writings chapter 2 and 3 is is seven letters to seven churches and in the seven letters Jesus is addressing each church personally he gives their good bad and ugly to all of them but one thing he does with all of them is he ends every letter with the same admonition. And this is how he will end every letter. Similar to this, but the same phrase. Revelation 2:7. anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life. It's not that... When I say risk, it's a risk for God to work with humans and share his authority. And we say, well, why would he do it? Because it's not that God trusts you. It's that he trusts himself. He doesn't trust you. He trusts the son who is the king. It's not that he trusts you. It's that he trusts the spirit who will download the information. And all he needs out of us is flawed humans. Will you listen? And if you listen, here's what happens. You win. So here's the thought as we get ready to close the lesson. God's design to share rule in his kingdom government with humans is unchanging. I would challenge anybody to say where God stops using humans. It's part of the design. The challenge is not whether God will use me or choose to use a human. The challenge is how will humans interact with God and how will humans interact with each other? Well, if we just go off superficial, it's going to get ugly. We're going to sling mud and dirt and it's not going to go well. But God says, no, you're thinking in your own wisdom here. Here's what God said, 1 John four twenty-one, And he's given us this command. Those who love God must love their fellow believers. And now he tells me, if you really wanna know how it works, you're gonna have to love each other. Well, we say, well, that's impossible. They irritate me, people bother me, people will stab me in the back. How can I love those people? I say, well, let's dive a little deeper. Galatians five twenty-two: the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love. And now we come to the overarching principle of God's kingdom rule. The scope of his rule is that he chooses humans to bring about his rule on earth and he works with flawed humans. They have different names and different abilities and different pluses and minuses, but he does it anyway. Why? Not because he trusts you, but he trusts himself. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his principles of his kingdom. He's faithful to his son, and he's faithful to his spirit, and he's faithful to his word. And he said, if you'll just listen to my spirit, the spirit will help you overcome because he will produce in you things that only he can produce and as he produces that in you you will lead my people here's the conclusion God ordains humans Come on, let's don't ever forget it. Don't ever get so bitter and so mad and frustrated with a preacher, an elder, a person, a worker, a leader, that you just tag out and go, you know what, I'm so done with God's people. I'm done with church. I'm just gonna sit home. I'm just gonna watch me some good YouTube videos. I'm just gonna get me a cup of coffee and my Bible. Good, do it. You can be blessed because you're sowing to God, but you're gonna miss the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. Because God has designed you to have leaders. God has designed you to have somebody in your life to keep you on track. To speak into you, flawed as they may be. The challenge will just become, are the people you're following as a leader listening to God and listening to the Holy Spirit? Here's the conclusion. God ordains humans to rule in his kingdom, government, and to aid in keeping his people on track. How in the world could this happen? Right there, the Holy Spirit. How can this be, the Holy Spirit? How can a group of people come every week to this corner? Hundreds of people show up every week from all different walks of life. How can they do that? How can they pull up and accomplish this thing? Because as long as we keep the Holy Spirit in preeminence, the Holy Spirit, oh, it will war with our flesh, our hurts and our anxieties and our frustration, but that whole, that sweet Holy Spirit He will commune with us. He will produce fruit in our life. He will produce gifts in our life because he will lead us to please the king together. And that's how God can work with humans. So never let a flawed human cause you to tap out. Never let a human being that has hurt you or done something cause you to go, you know what, I'm giving up. No, don't give up. Don't deconstruct. God wants you to know it is possible but it's only possible with the Holy Spirit. And as we move into the New Testament in the weeks ahead, this person called the Holy Spirit is gonna begin to come to the forefront and we're going to begin to see that the Spirit of God was working all the while. Wanna know how I know? Go all the way back to Genesis one, two. And the Spirit of God was hovering. From the beginning of time, the Spirit has been there, hovering over the system of God's kingdom because what we're gonna find out flawed humans and all, the only way it works, the only way it works is that God has to be the king and the spirit has to be the empowering. Come on. Amen. I love you. Let me pray for you. Father.